feast was now cleared away, and Yuan Chun recommenced her tour of the garden. When they came to the little convent nestling under its hill, she washed her hands and entered the shrine hall to offer incense and pray before the image of the Buddha. She also wrote an inscription for the board which hung above the image and read, The Ship of Mercy on the Sea of Suffering. now let's do it yeah so so while all this has been going on Bao has been off composing four separate poems he <laughs> and he's had some input from both Xue Baochai and uh, Lin Daiyu right uh, Xue Baochai has helped him correct one phrase in the poem um, and Lin Daiyu has in fact composed one of the poems in whole herself the final poem the final poem which underscores <laughs> the idea that she is the secret hero yeah and and as story. we'll see um of the four poems it is the final poem the one secretly written by lin Dayu that um yuan chun the concubine prefers best of all mm-hmm. so first one is the phoenix dance why don't you read the, the hawk's mm-hmm. translation here we go so this is your feng lai yi um which has rendered the phoenix dance uh, perfected now at last. This place is fit for birds of paradise to enter it. Each graceful wand lets fall a dewy tear. Each glossy leaf breathes coolness on the air. Through narrow parted blocks, the pent stream leaps. Through chinks of blind, the incense thinly seeps. Let none the checkered shade with violence rude, disrupting on the slumberer's dreams intrude. Okay. So so it's straightforward um, poem structure, isn't it? First two lines set the scene. Lines three, four, five, and six kind of describe what the scene is like and then and then the end there's this kind of exhortation of how this, this tranquility and peace should not be um, disturbed, and there's the reference in the end to the, um, I guess the serene or secluded dream. What, what does Hawks have it as? As the the slumberer's dream, um, which I think is another kind of um, metaphor for the novel itself, right? So this novel just keeps introducing itself. And so here's like, okay, now the dream is officially beginning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The dream That's is definitely the, underway now. I guess the, uh, the idea. Um, so, you know, again, we have, um, 
similar imagery we have jade we have the phoenix we have the the kind of natural imagery um so so i mean the first line is uh xiaoyu shu chang shi so xiaoyu is the fine jade shu is beginning but actually here it somehow means almost like finally um and chang shi is kind of has it's become complete you know? and i i think there's something subtle going on here as well um where the uh uh show you so it's literally this like you know it's refined or distinguished elegant jade right uh i think is also kind of a sense in which it's referring to again the 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 fresh the green bamboo which is attracting the the phoenix which we saw in, in a previous poem um uh, yeah yeah you're right it, it was a different show but it was show nonetheless right right um, what's the word they use for this and so it's like it's be it's uh chung sure and and so it's becoming real but uh like like sure also has the meaning of of, of fruit or of seed so it's kind of um, it's coming into full being, full fluorescence, full flourishing, right? Um, and so we kind of saw a similar thing where, uh, where where Dayu was both a flower and a pearl. Same dynamic. Do you here. think that do you do you think that this is even Baoyu referring to himself? So I mean, he obviously has right. you in his name and his symbol you know the the this symbolic embodiment of him yeah. is the the precious jade right. he carries around his neck and mm. there's very much a sense here that you know he is emerging from boyhood into early manhood mm -hmm. um and this is kind of represented by him being given this responsibility for composing these four very important poems for mm -hmm. his his sister's return and so know. yeah I would say, yeah, this is, he's coming into his being, you know, the, his dream is coming into its being. Uh, the the novel is coming into being, the, the garden's coming into being, everything is kind of, um, uh, you know, arising together in unity as, as different perspectives on the same entity. Um, it's also coming together, that this, this poem is different than the ones previously, insofar as this one is designating... Um, a specific location in the garden, right? This is the back in chapter 17. This is the one where uh, originally, you know, they, they pass through a, a, a tunnel of rock and they come upon um, a thicket of trees, uh, some various colored pavilions, uh, a jade stream, right? And there's a question of whether it's like how fast it is. Um, and, and somebody, this is the part in chapter 17 where, um, gushing jade was, uh, Xie Yu was, um, proposed as a name and Bao Yu preferred, uh, uh, Qin Fang drenched blossoms, which he thought was more tasteful. Um, and this is also in his poem, there's a reference to, um, in the hawks, it's three pole thrust lengths of bakeside willows green, one fragrant breath of bankside flowers sweet, and that kind of that goes back to the uh, 
some of the images that are going to appear in this in this new poem in chapter 18 where you have the um the gan gan ching yu di or uh yu di which hawks is rendered uh each graceful wand lets fall a dewy tear um which is i, I think referring to this sort of this bamboo imagery um which I, which i'm saying is kind of hidden in the uh the idea of the uh show you the uh the elegant jade yeah yeah definitely and so it, definitely. It, it all kind of fits together um and then in the next line uh bao yu re references you know this is a, a place fit for the the bird what what hawks has rendered bird of paradise is feng huang it, it is again the phoenix that's another another kind of area where especially if you know you're not reading along to the chinese i think hawks should have strayed less right because it's kind of a really important image there is hidden um so, so the, the bird of paradise is again the, the phoenix uh, uh, and then in lines three and four um, we have this kind of parallel um which you just you touched on before uh gan gan qing yu di this being kind of uh you know in chinese if you repeat a um a noun twice it means all or each of that thing uh often you know um so gan being a word for a long rod um but here really we think it means you know it's, it's a rod of bamboo um mm -hmm. hawks uses graceful wand which i think is quite i think that's a very good image and the way you know each graceful wand lets fall a dewy tear um is is about right you know the the word that he uses to mean a kind of a droplet uh, can mean, I suppose, a teardrop. Um, um, and the you know the the function of a a tear is ne not necessarily to convey sadness. You know, it can be it can be happiness or it can be kind of gratitude, right? And then the next line has the same structure. So rather than gan gan, it has ge ge. And then it continues, Lu Sheng Liang. So each each green gives forth mm -hmm. coolness. Um, so I suppose literally, kind of every every um, bit of greenery um, um, spreads coolness. In the hawks again, each glossy leaf breathes coolness on the mm -hmm. air. Uh, I think is a great is a great rendering um that's kind of what when you go to the grocery store and you have the you know the vegetables are, are being sprayed down with water that's basically what they're going for <laughs> yeah to have this appealing yeah. uh dampness but yeah there's a some there's somehow that the sense that the moisture is coming from them you know it's 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 you know it's emerging from them yeah um there is just a as, as an aside, there's a suggestion in, in one commentary I read that this character, Ge, which means, uh, it really means one of something, basically. Um, there is a suggestion that the character in the complex form, you know, in the traditional form, somehow resembles um, a leaf on right. a stem. I saw that but as well. Honestly, I, yeah. think, I think it's a bit contrived that I don't really know where that's... Um, what the origin of that is. I saw um, a reference to a chapter in the Shurji where yeah, they seem to have the same 
I mean, the yeah, the there's a, a variant of G which has um, the bamboo on top instead of the um, it's rendered here with the the person radical the ren renzipong. Uh, and so then, oh, I you see. You could imagine. Yeah, you could, you, interesting. I mean, bamboo are nothing if not countable, you know. Um, and so it would kind of make sense that they would uh, appear in a measure word, basically. That is a good point. Um, and and that variant of character that uses the bamboo radical is the the visual aspect is a bit more clear, I suppose. That's kind of interesting. Um, <laughs> then in the yeah, in in the next two lines we have this idea of uh, suppression. Yes. Um, yeah. So so there's two parallel images. There's the water behind the a kind of dam, uh, and then there's incense kept in by by curtains or blinds, right? Um, it's it's kind of seeping out, right? Yeah. In Hawks, he says that it it kind of we're supposed to imagine it actually emerging from that, so the 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 pent the pent stream leaps so the kind of pent up water leaps through this gap in the in the in the dam and the the incense slowly kind of seeps out through gaps in the in the blinds which i suppose is kind of the point but um but it doesn't kind of come across in the chinese in the chinese it's very much like it's being held back so the water is fang it's literally you know held back restrained and the um the incense is uh, I. Both of these characters have a sense of um, obstructing, you know, um, preventing. So yeah, I, I I guess the idea is the third character in each line is the obstruction, and then the first character is the so the bung is to to um, to go through to um, even to burst forth. Right. Yeah, it's a kind of spurt. And then yeah. and then the the the, the trun is to um, to penetrate. And so it's passing through the obstruction, and that and that's giving it a, a kind of an extra, at least the appearance of a extra intensity. Given the previous line and the kind of the lusciousness to it, my understanding was this is sort of a an al an allegory for desire, maybe, where you have um, like pent up lust or or, um, or feelings of um, of longing. Uh, I think that's what makes this poem a lot more. The previous poems kind of hinged on simply these relatively static scenes where you're just describing a very um, elegant or marvelous uh, like setting, right? Uh, and maybe, you know, maybe there was a little bit of the imagery of the phoenix coming down um, and the oriole going up. Which is a kind of movement, right? But this one seems like the the movement is a part of the scene itself, and so that seems to be like a little bit more subtle, a little more, um, a little more nuanced. And then, do you want to look at those last two lines about the the dreams? Right. Um, so Hawks has this rendered: "Let none the shade with violence rude, disrupting." On the slumberer's dream intrude. Yeah, so in, in the in the Chinese, it's um, more, which is do not. Yao is to to shake 
it's kind of disturbed by shaking. Uh, and then it says, Fun Sui Ying. So it's, uh, Hawks has checkered shade. And and I think mm-hmm. that's quite good. What I am literally, Fun Sui, uh, Ying is shadow. And Fun Sui is, is uh, describing kind of broken up into lots of little bits. Um, and I really imagine the kind of dappled sunlight that shines through leaves and branches. You know, it's that kind of shadow. So don't, don't shake it. Don't disturb that that kind of peaceful, dappled, sunlight shade. Uh, and then, yeah, it continues. Hao Meng Zheng Chu, and then the final character could be read Chang or Zhang. I'd say Zhang. Yeah. You think it's Zhang? I think it's Zhang as yeah, well. Yeah, it's right? it's developing, so, right? Exactly, exactly. Uh, so Hao Meng is good dreams. Zhang me here I think literally means kind of currently at the moment mm-hmm. and then Chu Zhang is kind of beginning to develop something like that right again a reference to we're just we're just getting going here this yeah. uh, this dream is just getting underway and and it ties back to the first line of the poem where they use Chu to mean the fine jade has now just begun to mm-hmm. become complete or, or to or to bear fruit yeah. Yeah, have reached maturity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's a good one, right? Yeah. Okay, so so what's the what's the next one? Okay. Do do you want to read this one? Yeah, so this one is uh in the Hawks is called The Garden of Spices. Mm, okay. So The Garden of Spices. Fragrance of flower drifts in these quiet confines mingles with a headier sense of eglantines. And summer's herbs in a soft, spicy bed, their aromatic perfumes subtly spread. Light mist half screens the winding walks from view, where chilly verdure soaks the clothes with dew. Here, slumbering quietly at the fountain's side, the dreaming poet all day long may bide. Now this poem, this is dedicated to... Uh, the the partial, the partially enclosed mountain, right? Yeah. So if we remember, there's the point where the mountain slightly kind of dips, and there there's a ridge that kind of sinks down and then rises up again, and at the point where it reaches its nadir, its lowest point, it's enclosed by walls, and in that point in the middle. There is a, a small rising rock which is covered in all kinds of different exotic plants. And the scent of all of those plants kind of uh, infuses all of the area enclosed by the wall. And so you're it's this great kind of sensory experience, both the, the color, of, you know, the sight of all the different plants, but also the, the smell of all of their different kind of aromas. Yeah. And that kind of accounts for uh, this idea of it being the Garden of Spices. Um, so we we see some of the same imagery as before, uh, and this one I think is quite complex. Um, uh, you know, my my reading of this was that this is a relatively a poem that's relatively heavy on allusion. Um, what stuff kind of jumped out to you from this? We can just talk about the kinds of sense that are involved. Uh, you know, the the hengwu seems to be a kind of like a ginger plant, right? Yeah. 
and here somehow is a stand-in for kind of all spiced or like spicy plants somehow yeah I, i'm not sure what the that is a little mysterious right we have seen a lot of ginger uh in in connection with traditional chinese medicine uh and so i wonder if this is a kind of a like a luxurious but also therapeutic location did you were you able to find any like good references here i, I some of these are harder to, to to nail down i think right so i mean it's quite it's the first four lines i think are relatively straightforward there's the sense of these kind of spice plants filling the garden with their fragrance and this is added to by the various trailing vines and then further on top of that there are um the space is kind of softly lined with spring grasses or kind of green green plants of some sort which in turn gently spread their scent and so it's building up this image of an area where you have a multitude of different um, smells from different plants kind of all mixing together and moving around. Um, Do you think in the theme of that mixing, in the third line, there's the Ranchen San Chun Zhao. Do you think the San Chun is the three, sp the three spring sisters? I, I thought very much so, yeah. Yeah, right. I, I, every time I see the character Chun Spring, I can't help but think of the the Chun sisters we mentioned. And so, I, the, the, I guess maybe there's a a sense that um, I mean, th there was some question over how long it's been. It hasn't really been three uh, three years since she's returned. Although it's possible that in one version of this story, that was the idea, maybe. Uh, so maybe three three springs has passed since um, you know the original spring Yuanchun has returned has returned home. Um, but another you know another interpretation would be that you know just as before we saw the kind of the uh, intoxicating mix of of dresses and uh, plum blossom petals floating and flying in the air maybe we see some area again a kind of um you know a diverse arrangement of garments of the three coming to uh to welcome yuan chun back into the fold kind of thing yeah yeah i think that's it there's a you're right it's the some kind of melding of the natural world and the, the human characters that occupy mm -hmm. it right um I really like the image in lines five and six, which in the Hawks is light mist half screens the winding walks from view, where chilly verdure soaks the clothes with dew. Um, <clears throat> in the Chinese, it's qin yan mi chu jing. So qin uh, yan means like literally kind of light smoke. Uh, yan is smoke. Uh, but it can be kind of missed here. And Qing is light or faint or thin somehow, you know. So it's not kind of fog so much as it is kind of faint wisps of mist, you know. And if you recall, uh, er, er, in chapter 17, uh, 
Bao Yu composes a uh, a couplet where he talks about you know from the empty cauldron the steam still rises after the brewing of tea, um, and that was the same sort of yan, uh, and that was right after the 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 winding road the the Chujing, um was also another one of his. This seems to be like almost kind of references to the names he gave to the, the places on, on his walk. That, that was my yeah. interpretation of that line. There, there are a lot of very, you know, recurrent motifs here: winding paths, uh, you know, wisps of of kind of uh, steam or or mist. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely. So that here, these this faint mist, it it kind of it obscures it hides or makes mysterious the winding path um and then mm. in the next line uh long shang so long is cold Cui is literally it's a kind of we we mentioned it before it describes jade right it's um here we might think of it as something like mm. bead yeah know? yeah like a bead of jade um and then shu means kind of wet or damp. Uh, Yishang is clothes. So it makes the clothes damp. So cold beads make the clothes mm-hmm. damp. You know, So you can imagine, as Hawks suggests, kind of um, beads of dew forming on your, on your sleeve kind of thing as you, as you wander through these mm-hmm. mysterious winding paths. Um, the last two lines... Uh, initially really, really stumped me trying to read them. Um, the seventh line is Shei uh, Wei Chi Tang Chu So Shei being who like asking who Wei is to be called but really here I think it means mm-hmm. more to write, to compose uh, and then Chi Tang Chu is the poem Chi Tang and, um, and then it continues Next line, Xie Jia, um, You Meng Chang. Um, so literally, Xie family, um, kind of dark dream long, something like that. Um, and again, this didn't really make that much sense to me at first, um, but one of the commentaries I read, um, explained that, yeah, this Chi Tang Chu is a poem by a poet called. Uh, Xie Ling Yun, who's a, a fourth or fifth century poet, so he predates mm-hmm. even the the kind of Tang Dynasty um, classics, right? Um, and he wrote this poem that goes, "Chi Tang Sheng Chun Cao," so the pond Chi Tang Sheng puts forth Chun Cao spring grasses or spring plants. Um, yuan liu bian ming qing. Um, so the garden willows are transformed into singing birds. Um, and so this is a this kind of marvelous image of um, plants becoming animals or the two becoming merged together somehow. Um, and it echoes, you know, the imagery of the spring grass, but also the birds and the willows. Um, mirrors a lot of the imagery we've seen in earlier poems um, and the reason this is mentioned here apparently is because this poem 
supposedly came to uh, Xie Lingyun, the poem, uh, the poet rather, it came to him in a dream. Um, and so the the next line about um, um, the poet Xie being in this long dream, um, suggesting, I suppose, somehow that a place like this filled with tranquility in mysterious sense mm -hmm. could be right yeah a fit place for one to dream of poetry in a similar way to the way this guy mm -hmm. Ling Yun did and actually from what i gather uh Ling Yun actually he he dreamt that uh one of his relatives uh returned to see him that's amazing that's very very cool i didn't realize and so there's also kind of the connection to uh Yuan Chun coming home, so it's a you know one of one of your relatives visiting you and having this kind of this a premonitory dream to this effect, right? And so again, we're kind of retracing our steps through chapter seventeen, um, but now with new, more refined poetry. So we have two more. Um, we have the House of Green Delights, and we have the Hopeful Sign. Um, do you want to take us through the the House of Green Delights? This one in the this is the space we're gonna recall was there were the um th these green and red uh, vegetation right uh, and that kind of reappears in this in this poem. It was originally um, fragrant red and lucent green, right? So it was uh, Hongshang. Lu Yu, and then uh, Yuan Chun changed it to Crimson Joys and Green Delight, which is Yi Hong, Kuai Lu. Yeah, so it's keeping the red greenness, but changing the the sense of it, right? And the reason uh -huh. for this red and green is because they have a a crab apple tree, which puts forth these very red flowers, right? Um, and that's offset by uh, bananas or plantains, um, yeah, exactly. which have these yeah, yeah. very rich green, broad leaves. And, and these are, I guess, the, the colors of spring and youth and coming into being. And so in this poem, the Hawks translation has rendered it the house of green delights. So, uh, in this quiet plot where peace reigns throughout the year, Bewitching ladies rank on rank appear. Somewhere in spring green, waxen sheets curled tight. Some carmine caps that are not doffed at night. Some from the trellis trail their purple sleeves. Some lean on rocks where thin mists cool their leaves. Their mistress standing in the soft summer breeze finds quiet content in everything she sees. Um, so I guess you can see in this poem that it is still describing the natural environment, but uh, it really leans heavily into this metaphor of, um, of, these, of, this, of this vegetation being elegant uh, maidens. There's, there is some interesting stuff here. Um... Which again, it's just in the process of translation from English to Chinese, inevitably gets lost. Um, I mean, in the first two lines, mm -hmm. there's a there's a 
a kind of moon sun parallel um you know so it's uh in the deep hole or the kind of peaceful hole uh literally long days of peace or long sun of peace um and i think it's from that 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 hawks gets where peace reigns through the year um Mm-hmm. And the second line is Liang Liang Chu Chan Juan. So in twos, Liang being a pair, so Liang Liang, two by two. Chu comes forth. Chan Juan, it's here can be, it seems like an allusion to the moon itself, but it also means kind of um, a beautiful woman. Uh huh. Yeah. It also just graceful like elegance i think yeah and i guess the liang liang i think that's referring to the fact that there are both the crab apples and the plantains uh so it's again this this kind of um doubling of color um it's it's a little strange that hawks has rendered it the house of green delights I'm not sure what he was thinking there. Uh, unless, unless he's thinking of Hong as in Hong Lo, and so he's like kind of uh, alluding back to Hong Lo Meng, the, the the red chambers, right? So the house is red, and and the and the uh, the plant the, the the lights are green, maybe. I think I guess it must be because red and green in the Chinese here are supposed to allude to um, <clears throat> nature and plants in particular. And because that's much more strongly associated just with green in English, that maybe is where it comes from. But, but it's hard to know exactly. Okay. Um, Sometimes he he should really just give, uh, like more annotations. I I know he was trying to make this a popular work. <laughs> yeah, um, it would be great to see his notes, right? But like, what? It, I mean, yeah, like what? What are you actually thinking? I, I mean, it would just be nice to have like yeah, like a director's cut with full annotations. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, okay, so um, then there's these four lines talking about the the beautiful women, okay. um, and and Hawks makes it uh, directly about women themselves. To me, somehow it was it felt to me like a dual image, women, but also uh, natural motifs. And so we see a lot of the these images we've seen before: um, green candles, the red makeup, the whole right. The, yeah, the, which is again this. Um, that, that's another a metonymical form designating it's it's female clothing, but it's also um, being a young maiden, maybe a rich maiden as well. Hmm. We talked about that a little bit. Yep. The uh, what is. What does Hawks render uh, uh, Jiang Shou, the kind of the, the purple red sleeves? That's the same Jiang as in uh, Zhang Zhu, the, um, the crimson pearl. So that's another kind of mm. image we've seen before. So he's, yeah, he says, some from the trellis trail, their pur- some from the trellis trail their purpose, purple sleeves. So, yeah, the sense of leaning on a, on a, a railing and the, their sleeves drooping yeah. down trailing down um yeah so he goes for purple rather than crimson um and again 
uh, I I understand the the choosing that um different color in English, but you're right, it it misses the parallel between the Jiangzhu in in chapter one, I think it is. Um, in all, this poem paints this. It does paint a rather lovely picture of you know how people might kind of spend their time relaxing here. You know, you imagine it kind of in the in nighttime, illuminated by lanterns, people slowly wandering at at ease. Um, you know, in a sense, without really a care in the world. You know, this last line or last two lines is. Um, their mistress standing in the soft summer breeze finds quiet content in everything she sees and and yeah in, in the chinese it's dui li dong feng le, li so standing facing the east wind zhu ren ying jie lian mm-hmm. so the um the master or the mistress here can feel uh jie lian is like worry disperse basically the, the you know that sort of thing so is that is that Daiyu? Because is she the? Isn't she kind of the queen of the flowers? And so should, wouldn't she be the? Would she be the mistress of the scene? I don't know. I I mean I suppose it's intended to refer to Yuan Chun as the concubine. You know, as the as the imperial concubine. Oh, but, okay, that's but better. It could be, but it could be anyone. You know. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Lots of or people, just... I suppose, could have that. Could be that that person. Well, let's turn to the final poem then. The hopeful sign. Okay. Yeah. I like this one a lot. Yeah, me too. And this one is attributed to it's officially by Bao Yu, but it's actually by Dai Yu. Yeah, it's entirely uh, her her handiwork, right? Which is interesting. I think it's a good a good way to end it. Okay, so the hopeful sign. An insign through the orchards half discerned, promises shelter and a drink well earned. Through water weeds the ponds geese make their way. Midst elms and mulberry trees, the swallows play. The garden's chives are ready to prepare. The scent of young rice perfumes all the air. When want is banished, as in times like these, the spinner and the ploughman take their ease. Okay. So it's a, in all, it's an image of the the kind of rural idyll, isn't it? You know. And so, in chapter seventeen, I believe uh, this this is the uh, the kind of the Marie Antoinette scene, you know, the sort of um, yeah faux austerity that we, we we kind of we talked about. And I believe in that was the original name for that that Bao Yu gave um, on the first tour. Was it also the hopeful sign? Uh, no, I think this was Sweet Rice Village, wasn't it? Dao Xiang Chun. Okay, I remember uh, the sign being referenced, though. Yes, um, I think that they have two names. They 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 have names for multiple parts of it. Um, I think is how it how it comes in. Um, and they decide that they need to put up a a, a mock tavern sign. Oh, I I found it. So the there was this uh, like mock tavern. Or it was actually a stone, but similar idea uh, for the inscription on the stone. Okay, it it was the same. It was the hopeful sign. Yeah. So it, back in chapter seventeen, it was Shanglian Sai Wang. So that's the same thing, right? That's what they have written on the stone. But the stone is 
referring to the, the this like kind of um, iconic tavern sign, which is also it was, it was kind of like a flag almost. It, it's it was a, a set symbol designating that you can come here, you can uh, you can have a drink. And I actually I searched through the, the again the, the Tong poems, and there's a lot of these uh, these kinds of uh, reference these kinds of signs. Or, or some, sometimes it ref, it's referred to in in the poems as uh, Jiu Qi. So it's like literally like a wine like banner or a flag. Uh, but it, it's this kind of um, what it is basically. Yeah, it's it's like a a set symbol for you. You know, you know, if you're if you're a traveler, you see this and you know, uh, here somewhere I can get a, a a drink. And actually, so if we if we start jumping into this, the reason why it's my understanding of why it's a, a hopeful sign is that because it is this um, well, the Hawks translation is an an in sign through the orchids half discerned. Uh, and so the original is Xing Lian Zhao Ke Yin. Uh, and I think, I think the, the idea is that because it's like flapping in the wind, that's as if like, uh, it's like a reference to like, it's like beckoning you in like a, exactly. Yeah. It's beckoning. Like a, Zhao yeah. means to, to beckon. So you can imagine the way a hand moves, you know, like come, come is similar to the way a flag would move if, if it's being blown in the wind. Yeah, uh, so that's uh, that's kind of a nice image. I, I wanted to. Uh, uh, there's, there's some um, the the natural imagery I think in in um, lines three and four is particularly good as well, right? Um, in conjuring this image of um, the kind of rural idyll. Um, so so the the first so line three is Ling Xing Er Shui. Uh, and the fourth line is Sang Yu Yan Zi Liang. So looking at the first of them, mm -hmm. uh Liang Xing is um kinds of flowers, uh water flowers. I think in this case water caltrops. The same as Xiangling. Exactly. So it's in the name yeah. of one of the prominent um maid servants, Xiangling, exactly caltrop. Mm -hmm. And then er is geese, basically. Mm -hmm. Uh and then Shui is water. So it literally is caltrops, geese, water. You know, there's no verbs there. Um, it's just noun, noun, noun. Um, and the next line is the same. Sang yu yan zi liang. Sang is mulberry. Yu is elm, so another tree. Yan zi is um, swallowed, the kind of bird. Mm -hmm. And then liang is a branch. So mulberry, elm, swallow, branch. Um, and so you can you can kind of render it in in many different ways, but we we kind of understand you know the the swallows are are sitting on or or flying between and kind of crying out amongst the branches of these two different trees. Um, this I was reading is um, it's a particular sort of verse form where yeah no verbs are used and it's it's quite a kind of complex um, thing to do. Um, there is a one of the kind of best examples of this is um, by a Tang dynasty poet um, called Wen Tingyun, um, and the poem is called Shang Shan Zao Xing. So, uh, you know, early walk by Shang Mountain. Um, 
and the 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 two lines that are commonly cited are ji sheng mao dian yue ren ji ban qiao shuang so ji sheng is chickens cry the sound of chickens um mao dian is a a thatched hut or kind of thatched shop maybe a kind of like a thatched inn you know a a kind of simple basic tavern and then yue is the moon so the moon shines on the rustic tavern where you hear the sound of chickens but there's no there's no verbs in that it's all just mm -hmm. nouns and then ren ji is traces of people ban qiao shuang so plank bridge frost so in the frost on the plank bridge you can see people's footsteps um and so it's a itself a very kind of striking image um and in that way that we mentioned before even though this is two lines of just five characters they managed to compress a remarkable amount of meaning into just those 10 characters yeah um so maybe this is is this Dayu kind of uh like kind of overcompensating she's definitely showing off i mean it's very yeah. good it like uh, compositionally i think it's probably one of the best bits in uh, all of these poems but um i think that she you know she knows that this is one of the ways that you can this is like a guitar solo you know um in poetic forms or it's like uh it's 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 certainly a kind of complex and uh difficult thing to get right um and she is attempting it here so are we ready to i, I really want to talk about the last uh two lines do yeah um, yeah dive in where basically, let's see if I can find the, the Hawks translation here. The garden's chives are ready to prepare. The scent of young rice perfumes all the air. When want is banished, as in times like these, the spinner and the plowman take their ease. Um, and I wonder here whether this is a kind of, we talked about how this is a sort of hyper-real space where it appears as if this might be a place where idyllic agricultural labor could be performed, but uh, certainly here is not being performed. There's, no one's actually tilling these fields. Uh, and so the last two lines, the, the implication is, well, and you wonder how much irony is sort of um, infused in these lines. The implication is, well, in times like these of such great plenty, there's no need, you know, there's no rush. There's no need to immediately till these fields. We could have them uh, set aside for this, uh, you know, purely representational mode, you know, where there is, where it is completely fake, you know, there, there is no actual yeah. labor here being performed. And it's it's kind of like a conspicuous consumption, or I guess a, a conspicuous uh, lack of consumption, or lack yes. of production. The right? the idea of the spinner and the plowman taking their ease, I wouldn't be surprised, although it's not mentioned here. I wouldn't be surprised if they employed people to perform that role, you know, to be there as like kind of appropriately rustic looking mm -hmm. peasants in this little Potemkin village. We already suspected that the one uh, location that they stopped on the way to the funeral was itself a kind of a, a false, a kind of a, a tourist trap for uh, city goers. Yeah. 
right? And this is the same yeah. in the same vein, I think, but maybe uh, even more so. It's certainly a, a kind of beautiful spot. This, um, you know, very scenic, very pretty. But I think that there's a recognition here by I think there's an an irony here from Dayu's pen. The final two lines to me are tongue in cheek. It actually Bao Yu was originally probably most critical of this part of the garden, right? Yeah. This is where he talks about how he he go he goes on his long speech about uh, Ziran, how it wasn't actually natural and it was kind of conjuring a notion of nature that was artificial. Uh, and, yeah, and you're right because when they first reached there, his father, this very you know strict, upright, stern man, Jia Zheng, he kind of gasps in joy at the sight he of loves it, it yeah know, this is such a yeah this wonderful place now this you know being here really makes you want to get back to nature wants you to makes you want to take up a life of agricultural simplicity mm -hmm. and of course it's this very condescending fantasy of what the life of a peasant is actually like mm -hmm. rather than you know the 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 back the backbreaking toil and and kind of misery that so much of that life actually mm -hmm. entails and Baoyu, as you say rightly says you know this is not this is a fantasy this is an artifice it's not really natural yeah it's yeah it's more artifice than art and that's what i guess Daiyu is also pointing out here and maybe she she can get away with it because she is writing you know under his name <laughs> right yeah. so th this this poem is maybe more even more unrestrained than the than her own contribution um her own direct contribution although i suppose you know on a literal reading this would be understood to be um some reference to the emperor's wise rule you know yes this yeah. world without any kind of want or need where where you know the lowliest peasants or laborers can can take it easy is on the face of it saying, you know, Emperor's doing a great job. Thumbs up. You know, it's kind of an inversion of the traditional kind of ritual mode going back to all the way to the Zhou Dynasty, if not before, was that, you know, the Emperor would have a small ritual plot that he would sort of ritually pretend to plow. And so rather than it's kind of the opposite. So he would he would perform he would fake the labor. Uh, whereas here the labor itself is faked, <laughs> so it's an interesting kind of inversion of uh, the the classical system. Yeah, the dialectic swings and and shifts and, and changes. There's there's one other point I want to note about this quickly, which is um, we mentioned before that Xue Baochai, so Bao Yu's other love interest, also made mm -hmm. a contribution to his poem, uh, although to a different one, um, the one before this in which he wanted to use the characters uh, Lu Yu, uh, which were previously in the name of what's now the House of Green Delights. Right. Um, in his poem. And Xue Baochai says, no, you shouldn't do that because Yuan Chun has changed the name of this place from its original name, which had the characters Lu Yu in it, to uh, a new one, which doesn't have those characters in it. So if you use those characters in your poem you'll be signaling that you are not happy with her for changing that mm -hmm. or that you think your original name is better. 
Either way, she could take offense at that. So you should swap them out for a different set of characters instead. Um, and that reveals, I think, her um, maybe more conciliatory nature, but also the fact that she has much more regard to doing what's perhaps politically correct. Mm -hmm. um, and then, by contrast, in Dayu's poem, she uses these three characters, Dao Xiang, uh, sorry, Dao Hua Xiang, which is the um, the fragrance of the sweet rice, basically. And these are very similar to the old name for what's called the hopeful sign here. So originally, Bao Yu had called it Dao Xiang Chun, so the village of the sweet rice fragrance. <clears throat> and uh, Yuan Chun decided to change it to something else. And so, whereas on the one hand, Bao Chai is saying, oh, you shouldn't, you know, make reference to the name once she's the old name once she's changed it Dayu is doing exactly the opposite um and so that highlights a kind of mm -hmm. contrary aspect of her nature you know she she's very much the opposite of uh that, that's really important approach. yeah to to highlight that that difference uh especially because since this poem is so well received uh Yuan Chun decides to change uh the name back you know uh, uh, that it's important to highlight that element because it's it was a risk but it kind of uh, paid off in a way um, so after the poems are done they go and watch some plays and um she singles out one of the actresses uh for praise and you know lavishes her with gifts um there's one thing that uh she says about the plays that um seems to me like a kind of reflection on the garden itself um um essentially she recognizes that obviously that it's just acting it's just artificial but at the same time um she's very kind of moved by it so in in the in the chinese it's uh so even though it's uh you know an appearance it's a it's a, f a a false appearance nonetheless it provokes uh the fullest happiness and sadness something like that um and i just saw in that like a, a faint parallel with um with the garden itself you know even though everyone recognizes ultimately it's created by human hands, it still has this wonder, this marvel about it. Mm. Interesting. Uh, and then, yeah, there's the, the only other thing I wanted to talk about was this. She she makes an inscription at a Buddhist, a little shrine that they have built in the garden, um, where she gives it the name, the Ship of Mercy on the Sea of Suffering. Right. So, Ku Hai Tsu Hang. Um, what did you make of this? My like odd reaction to this was this reminded me of Moby Dick. <laughs> uh, there's a famous uh, like a I guess like a church uh, along the in this whaling community, and the altar is actually like made from or made in the shape of uh, the mast of a ship. And so was, for some reason that kind of uh i i i that kind of connection 
Um, what, what are you? What do you think? Uh, well, I, th I think it's I think it's always interesting and always valuable to find like parallels between this and other works of literature. You know, uh, I think that's I think it's great to make those observations. Um, for me, like I, I suppose the ship of kindness or uh, the ship of mercy rather is um, is maybe her family and the garden itself, and the sea of suffering for her is is her life. You know, I, I take a very negative view. I think that she doesn't enjoy being a concubine. She's done it out of duty because ultimately there was really no other choice. Um, and because it will bring her family imperial favor. But mm. I don't think she likes it. I don't think it's uh, I don't think she's happy with her life at all. It kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, Bao Yu and Ching Ching on the, the coffin, like, you know, traversing the you know, the uh, the river sticks and, and the various uh, yaksha grabbing at uh, at their ankles. Uh, I don't know if if life is suffering, then the ship of mercy yeah. is death. I don't know if that's... that's... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, th there might be some, a little bit of truth to that reading. I don't know if I'm over, uh, you know, rendering that too negative or not. No, quite possibly. Um <laughs> certainly the 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 view of life as suffering um is is i think very common um and um and not not controversial at all um but thinking of death as the ship of mercy now that's an interesting one <laughs> <laughs> it's very very pessimistic <laughs> um And with that inscription done and the visit to the shrine finished, she then basically has to take her leave of them. Um, before she goes, she makes lots of gifts to different members of the family, right? Um, yes. An another classic uh, list. Yeah, honestly, probably one of the most boring parts of this book. <laughs> a, li a, a list of ingredients, basically. Uh, yeah, I don't intend to go through it. But yeah, lots of people were given lots of nice things. Um, and then she leaves. Uh, I, I could say if if uh, listeners are interested in the significance of the Rui Scepter, uh, there's a, a, a good discussion of this in Chapter 2 of John Kieschnick's The Impact of Buddhism on Chinese Material Culture. So we're not going to go into that, but if you want to learn all about the Rui Scepter, scepter uh, whether it was a ritual object or maybe just a, a back scratcher... <laughs> Apparently, this is a long-standing controversy. Uh, you can check out that reference. All right. I think that is chapter 18 well and truly done with. Um, That's basically So next it, time, yeah. we will pick up from chapter 19, uh, in which a very earnest young woman offers counsel by night, and a very endearing one is found to be a source of fragrance by day. And so, uh, this has been Rereading the Stone. If you want to get in contact with us, uh, please do so. Uh, we're on Twitter at Rereading Stone. We also have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash Rereading the Stone. Um, until next time, uh, have a good one. Bye. Bye-bye.